This is Curl Up with a Cat Tale, and I'm Gwen Cooper, the New York Times bestselling author of numerous cat-centric titles, including Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale, or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat, Spray Anything, More True Tales of Homer and the Gang, and The Book of Possum, Head Bonks, Raspy Tongues, and 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. We're here to celebrate all things feline and to tell inspirational cat tales. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tale with Gwen Cooper. I am, of course, Gwen Cooper, your host, and delighted, genuinely delighted to be here with you. I know I say that at the beginning of every episode, so I want you to know that I really do mean it. It is uh, always delightful to find that I've survived another week that I have survived it with enough mental and physical wherewithal to record a podcast episode. Um, Not that it is so physically grueling to record a podcast episode, but you know, things go wrong, things go wrong in your life, and you just feel like you cannot do these things. Or sometimes you get sick or injured and you even as, as unimposing as a task might be in general, it becomes very imposing. And so it is always nice to find as I get to this day in the week that I am still here and still ambulatory and still talking and uh, still capable of stringing one or two coherent thoughts together, just one or two. I, I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. Um, so there's really only so coherent I can ever guarantee you I'm going to be. But uh, but we're gonna we're gonna try. I'm, I'm gonna try to keep it together on, on this episode, and we're gonna see how that goes. Um, coming up later, fortunately, this will not be an episode where it's just me rambling for the next forty minutes. So coming up later, we will be speaking with author Teresa Peche about her new book, which is simply called Advice, and it is a book of advice. As you've probably already inferred from the title, uh, but it's actually it's a, it's an interesting book, and some of the advice is interesting advice, and and it was an interesting conversation. So I hope you will stick around for that. I also, as I record this, it is Sunday, March nineteenth. Um, so I would like to wish a very happy Mother's Day to those of you listening in the UK, and of course, I include cat moms and cat dads in at least my celebrations of Mother's Day and Father's Day. So a very happy Mother's Day to all of you listening in the UK. And that applies to you whether your children go on two legs or four. And you know, the subject of of family, especially as it applies to our cats and dogs, our, our fur kids, as some people refer to them, um, it's something I've been thinking about a lot for the past couple of days, and I will tell you why. Um, so we had some friends over to brunch a week ago today, and they were visiting from Tennessee. You may have heard me talk about my friends from Tennessee, and they have actual real full-time office jobs, but they also have a farm that they run and they have chickens and cows and horses and many, many rescue cats. And it is an actual working farm that they have. And so the point being that they are animal lovers. And I can tell you they they come to New York once or twice a year. 
they visit us, they hit some of their favorite sites in the city, and then they come to our home um, for bagels and schmear, which they could certainly get on their own in Manhattan. Really what they come here for is to see Clayton. And Clayton is always delighted when they come. It's honestly a puzzle to me whether Clayton remembers them from visit to visit or if he is just thrilled to have a a couple of people, a couple of women. Uh, Clayton tends to like women more than men, although he really does like everybody. And, And that really is kind of the point that I'm getting to. Clayton loves everybody, anybody who's willing to give Clayton attention, although Clayton tries to make friends with just about everybody who comes into the house. Um, Certainly our friends from Tennessee, when they come, they bring a lot of interesting smells with them because of all the animals they live with. Not that that they smell to me. I smell nothing but cleanliness and perfume, I can honestly say. But Clayton's nose is more sensitive than mine. He is particularly fascinated by their shoes. And I am sure if a cat were to press his much more sensitive than a human's nose against those shoes, he would discover all kinds of of wonderful and intriguing smells, um, particularly intriguing to a cat like Clayton, who is an indoor-only city cat. So I, I, I don't know what, what, what smells Lawrence and I bring in on our shoes, but whatever they are, Clayton has long since gotten used to them. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting well, well beyond the point. Um, The point that I'm making is that Clayton is a cat who needs a lot of attention. And when people come to our home, and and I give him a lot of attention, as I am sure those of you listening can well imagine. Um, I I can't imagine. I don't think I've ever given so much attention to any animal that I've lived with, honestly, including Homer, except for maybe the first few weeks that I had him when I was constantly worried about him and I sort of did nothing but, but eagle eye. Clayton, uh, Homer. Um, and I've lived with dogs and, and Clayton is really just the, the, truly the neediest animal I've ever lived with. But I was thinking yesterday, you know, that, that Clayton probably would have done best, would, would have, you know, might have achieved his full Clayton potential in this life if he had ended up in a home instead of in, in our relatively quiet home. But if he had ended up in a home, with a family, with kids, with more people, basically, to give him as much attention as he needs, you know, with with maybe like two well-behaved little girls who who loved kitty cats. We actually have very dear friends who who meet that description, although the little girls are not so little anymore. Um, and they have two cats who they just love to death, and they've always been cat lovers. Um, but you know, some family like that, some some home where there would be more people to pay attention to him. I I do feel that nobody could have given Fanny a better home than the home we've given to Fanny because Fanny, and and you've heard me discuss this, Fanny is an incredibly sweet and affectionate cat. She is shy. She doesn't like, and she's also very skittish. So lots of noise, lots of people make her nervous when our friends come to visit and they have been here many times um, since going back before we adopted Clayton and Fanny. So Clayton and Fanny have been familiar with our friends for their entire lives, but Fanny still does not come down when they are here. And she is just very 
wary of people she doesn't know. But my, my bigger point, and I wonder if anybody else has ever thought this, if, if you sometimes look at your cat and as much as you love your cat and as much as you know your cat loves you, if you wonder if maybe there was a better life out there for your cat or one more suited to your cat's personality. And please understand that I, it, it frightens me sometimes how crazy I am about these cats. I mean, I, I just love them so much. Uh, so really, my point is not that I wish I had had a different cat. And I always remind Lawrence how we, we really did win the lottery with these two cats, who in addition to all of their sweetness and, and adorableness and, and how affectionate they are, we are also extraordinarily lucky that they really have no behavioral issues. And those of you who are longtime cat guardians will know how fortunate that really is, because that is certainly not always the case. Uh, and and I always think of Vashti, for example. Vashti, those of you who have read My Life in a Cat House know about Vashti's peeing issues, peeing outside the litter box issues. And there was only... You know, eventually I learned the things that tended to trigger her and for the most part could usually successfully avoid them, but that was not always the case by any stretch of the imagination. There were still plenty plenty of uh, shots got past the goalie, if you know what I mean, on that one. We, we uh yeah, it, it was it was an ongoing issue, and we I you again those of you who who have read my books, and I assume that as many of you listening know how absolutely insanely I I loved Vashti and I would not trade Vashti or anything about Vashti for anything in the world. This was Vashti's personality. This was her deal. This was what she did. But, you know, cats, I, I think more so than dogs, cats come with their own wiring and and it can be difficult to, they, they have, I think, very complex personalities and when there is a behavioral behavioral issue, I think it's a much less um, straight journey from A to B in terms of figuring it out than it is maybe with dogs. I think with dogs, it's a lot easier to figure out what the source of of the anxiety or the problem is. And a lot of time, it, it, it comes down to improper training or training techniques. And again, those of us with cats know it, it's never about training per se or a lack of training. Um, although I have heard that clicker training is one of those things that can produce great results. But again, getting back to the original point, I there was a part of me that was really sad for Clayton. I, you know, imagining him in just a big house with lots of people, all of whom or, or many of whom or even just more people than live here um, to provide him with attention. And maybe that's a life he would have been happier with. And I'm just wondering if if other people ever wonder this about their cats. Or maybe it's just me, which is also entirely possible. And so we're we're gonna move away on, on those grounds from from the deep thoughts coming from a Sunday morning. And uh in a minute we're gonna be talking with today's interview. But before we get there, I just wanted to give an update on Homer's Odyssey. And, and thank you to those of you who've written to me since last week or or left comments to express your support. Uh, for those of you who are just catching up on this, so my publisher, for reasons I do not yet understand, has taken Homer's Odyssey out of print. 
which means they are not printing any more new copies of the book. And in fact, if you go to Amazon and try to buy the book there, you will find that you can only buy used copies. You cannot get a new copy of the book on Amazon. And that is because my publisher is no longer printing new copies, despite the fact that the book has been selling reasonably well. You know, again, and I think I said this last time, it it sells a couple thousand copies a year, which are not the kind of numbers that set the world on fire. But then again, more than 90% of all books published will never sell more than 1,200 copies in their entire life, in the entire life of the book. So to still be selling a couple of thousand copies a year at least in publishing terms, certainly justifies the existence of the book. It's not like a TV show that only 1,200 people are watching, which would be a rather spectacular failure for a TV show. Anyway, I, I don't want to get too deep into this, but the, the point being, so the, the book is not is currently out of print, um, which upsets me. And, and again, going to the point that, that it only sells a couple thousand copies a year, this is not a book that is making me rich or even adding significantly to my income by any means. I, I make maybe a couple thousand dollars a year um, from sales of Homer's Odyssey. So that's not so much my concern. My my I just people are still buying it. People are still reading it. I it's it it feels it feels weird not having the book in print and and I said this last week it I was very I've been very lucky I guess in some senses that I've there's a level on which I've not had to come to terms with the loss of Homer because the book was still out there and and people were still discovering it and people still every so often send me emails they just read Homer's Odyssey and and Homer's been such an inspiration to them as he was to me. And so it, it it has always sort of felt like there is this very real part of Homer that is still alive in the world. And knowing that the book is out of print has, has really given me this, this like sort of queasy, unbalanced feeling of, of Homer not being there. Um, and, and, so I, you know, I have put in an inquiry with my, through my agent to ask the publisher. Again, this is a book that was published 13 years ago, and there's been a lot of turnover at the publisher, so nobody who worked on the original team is still there. Those of you who listen every week already know all of this, um, and I apologize to be wasting your time retreading familiar ground. Uh, the point being, I, I so I, I put in this request to to find out what's going on, and and my my you know my feeling is if the book is is out of print, if they really just don't want to print it anymore then I am hoping they will institute what in the publishing business is known as a reversion, which means that the rights would come back to me and then I could publish it just like I self-publish so many other books. Um, we will see what happens. I, I I really, really hope that they are not planning to just take it out of print while also not allowing me to print it myself if they no longer wish to. Um, there's been no additional news, and which is to be expected because publishing is a very slow-moving industry, at least traditional publishing is. And again, those of you who are longtime listeners of the podcast know that that is one of the reasons why I have been making a, a gradual shift to being exclusively self-published. Um, and that's really because I, I like to be able to work and to put out books at my own pace and and not be dependent on that very long timetable 
that publishers, in fairness, that they need. Uh, but the point being that it's not especially worrisome or or weird that I've not heard anything yet. Um, I will continue to keep you posted as I find out more information this week. If I if I still haven't heard anything. Um, then towards the end of this week, I'm, I'm going to turn up, I'm going to dial up the volume just a little bit. So maybe I will have something new to report to you next week. Uh, hopefully there, there will be some information one way or the other, and we will see how all of that goes. By the way, I have just as an FYI, I've also requested a reversion of the rights to Love Saves the Day. Um, and, and that is just because although the book has not been taken out of print, it is not selling many copies through my publisher. And I would just like to to have it back and, and try to sell some of those copies of the book myself. If I do get it back, I am, I am planning to supplement the novel, to reissue the novel with a new cover and a couple of new stories about prudence. So I will definitely keep you all informed as events unfold. This would not be a, a, a true sequel to Love Saves the Day. Uh, many of you have written to me over the years asking for a sequel. This would not be a, a book-length sequel, but it would be some stories about Prudence's continuing adventures. So hopefully I will get a chance to do that. But in the meantime, and before any of that happens, we are going to take a very short break of about 30 seconds or so. And when we come back, we will be speaking with author Teresa Peche. So sit back, get comfortable, and stick around for more Curl Up With a Cattail. Thanks so much for sticking around. Today's guest is a former copywriter and features writer who lives in Sandpoint, Idaho with her beloved feline, Tabby Cat. She joins us today to talk about her new book, Advice, available now on Amazon and through bookstores as well. I am so delighted to have her on the show. She is a longtime reader. Please join me in welcoming Teresa Peche. Hello, Teresa. Did, did I get the pronunciation of your name correct? You did. You did. Thank you. I, I I try very hard to be accurate about these things. There was actually, uh, for those of you listening now, there was a, a a first iteration of that introduction where I mispronounced the name. And so I just wanted to be sure that I was accurate this time. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so, Teresa, you have, uh, I mean, you and I have been emailing for a while. I, I know that you are a longtime reader. You have been a part of, of Homer's community for a while now. And I don't think I realized until fairly recently that you were working on a book of your own. Now, let me clarify this first, just because you you are a cat enthusiast and you are coming on this show. This is not, though, a book of advice for for cat lovers or about cats. This is really more general life advice. Is that correct? That's correct. General life advice. Yes. Um, so why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about what readers might find in this book? Well, I can tell you briefly how it came to be written and what they'll find. Uh, one of my friends told me one day a very nice compliment. 
She said, you know, I've kept all your emails through the years. And I said, ah, thank you. I do that with my friends, Gwen. I keep correspondence, all of it. I love to do that. Anyway, she said that she reread them from time to time. And I said, well, my goodness, that's why. And she said, well, because they're funny and because they're comforting and because they're wise. And she said, you should write a book. Well, When you're a writer, a lot of people say you should write a book. But Gwen, I've never had a book in me. I've never had a story to tell. And and let me just say, so frequently, I I mean, the vast majority of times that I'm having a conversation like this, it's sort of the opposite. It's somebody who has no writing experience, but is coming to me because they are positive that they have a book in them. (laughs) So it's it's, it's actually sort of refreshing to hear somebody say, "I, I, I didn't think I had a book in me because honestly... I feel like most people, um, even people who really never aspire, they're not going to try to write a book. They know it, it would be beyond them to write a book. But still, most people seem to feel that they do have a book inside them. And 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 I guess that's because we we all have our own life stories that we tell ourselves. Um, so you, but you first had to to cross that divide of thinking that you didn't have a book in you. I I, I stuck firmly on the I don't have a book side of the di- of the divide for a little while until uh, she mentioned it again. And here's what happened when I said, I really don't have a story in me. Literally, this is going to sound a little like I hear from God in my oatmeal every morning. I don't. But I could see on the inside of my mind, one word, it just appeared, I sort of saw it for a moment in a way. And it was the word advice. Now, let me, um, uh, I'm sorry. And you have no and I'm not, I, this is not gotcha journalism by any stretch of the imagination, but you have no formal training as a psychologist or, or anything like that. You are, you are simply espousing common sense advice. Is, is that a fair, a fair thing to say? What I have is when you're a writer and you know this, people who are writers tend to be very observant and they tend to be listeners and observers and very good describers of that. And so Although, uh, if, if, if you put me up against a professor, hello, I would be an idiot. However, <laughs> if you put me up against life, I've observed it. I've observed a, a wide spectrum of people going through a wide spectrum of things. And I've seen things that amount to an event that I could tell you about that would help you. And in fairness, what, I was going to say, in fairness, I feel like if you put me up against a fifth grader, <laughs> I, I mean, it's good that you measure yourself against a professor, because honestly, these days, I'm, uh, I, I don't think you have to go that high up on the academic tree to find someone who could stump me. But but that's just me. So so good for, oh, good well, for you. <laughs> I have a higher opinion of you than you do. But well, at, thank at you. this point, uh, the word advice came to my mind and it occurred to me, you know, I do have a lot to say when it comes to helping people when they're struggling through something. You know All right, so give say? us an example. Like, 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 tell us a little bit about the, what people. So, I, I open this book. I turn to the table of contents. What am I going to find? When you turn to it, you're going to find 44 chapters on 44 different subjects, and uh, a subject that women like to read about a lot is men. And they like to read a lot about love in context with men. And there are a few chapters about that. However, the reason I'm mentioning it is because a lot of us feel that way. Sometimes a guy is dating us and dating us and he wants to live with us. But, you know, we just he just doesn't seem to want to get married and we don't understand it. 
And I wrote an entire chapter on that because I've seen some people ride that train all the way to where it runs into the wall and they get their hearts smashed because eventually they'll break up. And all of a sudden they hear that he married somebody else after he knew her for three months and they don't know what the hell just happened. And they are so devastated. There's a chapter on that and it goes a different place than you think it would. There's According to the Greek language, there's four different kinds of love. And I added one, Gwen. There's a fifth kind. We don't talk about it. It's called marriage love. And you know what I'm talking about. Because when you met your husband, you were friends. And one day you realized you loved him and you wanted to marry him. And you paced the floor and Homer paced it with you. How are you going to tell this guy? And when you told him, he said, yes, so quickly. It's called marriage love. You can love somebody in all sorts of different ways and not want to marry them. Well, that is uh, certainly true. You know, my grandmother used to have a saying, you can't put your head on somebody else's shoulders. And I think all of us have had the experience of uh, of seeing somebody, you know, whether it's they're in a dead end relationship or a dead end job. We're all all experts, right, in in other people's problems. Um, so, I, you know, I guess my question would be, do you, do you think that, and again, I, I ask this, I really have no answer to this question. Um, because, you know, having said that, like for all that people tend not to take the advice of the loved ones in their lives, I do know that the self-help industry is, is absolutely a booming one. And so do you think that people are more willing to take advice from strangers in a book than they are from their friends? And if so, why do you think that is? Because people in in emotional situations, and many of these chapters aren't about anything emotional, but we're on this topic, so we'll stay there. They are not able uh, to take advice about how they feel. They feel what they feel when they feel it. This book is is known for something, and I'm known for it as well. I don't tell other people what to do, and neither does this book. It invites you to look at it, pick it up like it's a diamond, and rotate it around, and look at some different facets of it, and then then consider it. That's and... all, all this advice is. It, it will, on this particular subject, it says, this is what men are like when they're in love. So how do you know when a man is in love with you? How do you know? There's another chapter on that. Oh, here's a here's a chapter. These are I'm sticking with the men chapters. Here's one. I'll put it in a nutshell so you understand where I come from. Sometimes it's called "All the Good Ones Are Taken." At some point in our lives, most women have said that. And here's the mystery to that: when a man falls in love, he changes, and he becomes a very good man. He might have been a heartless seducer before, but he isn't when he falls in love. And so that's why we think all the good ones are taken. Those guys out there are just men who are not deeply in love yet. And your good one is not taken. He's out there now uh, being obnoxious and breaking hearts. But when he meets you, he's going to fall in love with you. So so basically, he's just not that into you, is what you're saying. The the guy, you know, the, the women who are saying, I can't find, you know, all the good ones are taken are basically women who have been with men who are just not that into them. They are in love, but not in marriage love. Right. Remember, there's four different kinds. There's, there's, he can, he can love you romantically. You have a great physical relationship. He can love you like a good friend. You're good friends. So you wonder what's missing. You're wonderful friends. You're wonderful lovers. Let's get married. Well, you know, my job's a little busy right now. And I had it. Yeah. That's what that's about. 
We can switch. We can switch horses here. I don't know if you want to, but I have general chapters on things like aging. Yeah, you yeah. Very, I was. You, that you was actually love the aging chapter, my friend. You um, well, I'm. I'm not sure why you are pointing me specifically to the aging chapter because you just hemp, spoke of it. You but... spoke of your husband's age <laughs> and yours. You uh, but but yes, you? you do have advice in here about aging and about friendship and about punctuality. And why don't you talk a little bit about some of the other topics that are that are sure. covered in the book while while I while I listen to my arteries harden. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> your arteries harden. Well, the thing is, you've been aging all of your life. We all age all sure. of our life. We just pick it out at a certain age because your body plateaus and it stays a certain way and then it begins to change. And we call that aging. But You, you know, in, interestingly, I, I'm going to say that I am and and scientists are studying this because I am one of the only people who's managed to stop aging at 35. I just thought I would throw that out there. Phenomenal. I'll dedicate my next my next book to you. Okay, a lot of your women are working women. And it was a thing that I discovered that I had to go into a lot of committee meetings and present an idea. For instance, you had to present the idea of I have a book about my cat. And it, when, it, when you do that in a committee meeting, everybody starts to 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 trash the idea. They don't trash it, but everybody starts to come up with why not. And what's wrong? Sure. So committee meeting. Okay, well, I go into a chapter on that. Why is that? Well, the great idea. Why is that? Well, that's because, here's why. See if I can get it in a nutshell. When people come to a meeting, they're asked to come and bring all of their knowledge to that meeting. And if they show up and you have a great idea, and all they do is say, well, that's a great idea. They're a bunch of yes men to you. They don't want that on two levels. One, it makes them look as though they don't have any intelligence of their own. And two, they want to have their own great ideas. They don't want to be their yes man. So they have to, to come up to, to be successful at that meeting. They have to successfully oppose your idea. They don't know that's why they're there, but that's why they're there. Okay, I'll give you the solution really quickly. It's a strange one. Few people know it. This is a secret. So listen. When they're doing that to your idea, do not start to defend your idea right away and answer them individually. It's the worst thing you could do. Let it go all around the table. Let everybody object to the idea. Let them hear their own voices and all feel great. And if you can stand it, don't defend your idea even then. Let that settle for a little bit and one of them is going to speak up and one of them is going to do something very strange. He's going to object to one of the objections. And when he does that, that is going to open a door to other people saying, well, yeah, you know, actually that objection about, we don't want to tell people that they need to think healthy as a tagline, because it sounds like they're, they're not thinking healthy and that's bad. Maybe we do want to say that because after all, George, we are a health food club and it begins to re reverse and it reverses and goes all around the table till they end up being for your idea. That and is, of course, always a very difficult to do, by the way. Is, almost is to, impossible. It, it, it really is. And, you know, my husband, yes. um, who used to watch a lot of Judge Judy with his late father, um, it was, you know, he had Alzheimer's, but it was, it was one of the shows that he really, really liked. And so Lawrence always talks about the people on Judge Judy where she apparently will say, like, you cannot, no more talking. I don't want to hear from you again. If you speak again... I'm going to fine you or whatever the case may be, whatever penalty <laughs> is attached to it. And they yeah. put, put Judge Judy and that's it. And uh, they, they, they can't stop. They can't help themselves. And that seems to be a very common 
human foible is that desire to stick to your guns, defend your idea, argue with the person who's arguing with you, or point out why somebody who's not telling the truth isn't telling the truth. Um, very, very difficult advice to to take, I would imagine. I, I'm only now at the age of 50 just starting to learn how to not argue with everything that comes my way and merits an argument. You know, something's merit an argument, but it still is not worth having the argument, at least not at that moment. Um, but it's tough. It's tough to learn how to do. Yes, it is. And there's a story in there that that uh, tells it rather well. It, it was a true story about a major airline company who wanted to do a certain sort of jingle. So uh, they'd get the guys around the table and they'd all listen to this song. Well, these were, weren't men that knew anything about music, but they were the board of directors. So each guy would come up one thing. Well, you know, what I don't like about it is this. Till all of them had come up with what they didn't like about it. They did this in a series of meetings each time, re-recording each time, which was expensive. So finally, the guy who presenting the song had had it. That's it. And he he sat him down. He played all nine versions and said, pick one. Which version do you think they picked? I'm sure you're going to tell me. <laughs> I don't want to embarrass myself by guessing wrong. <laughs> okay. They picked the first one they'd ever heard. Right. Which also makes sense because I think people tend to know. The truth of the matter is you go back and forth, but people really know into almost instantly what they think or what they want or how they feel. And everything else is just sort of a process of backing into that uh, initial decision or, or you know, justifying after the fact why you that made is, that initial decision. That is right. Okay, I go into some more serious. A lot of this is it's it's light, it's funny, it's it's for Pete's sake. I enjoy reading my own book. Either I am grossly egocentric, or it's pretty well written. But this goes into all sorts of other other subjects. A lot of people get to a certain age, and this person who was always a best friend sort of fades out of their life, and it hurts, and they don't know why. There's a chapter on that, and then there's a chapter on let's see. Uh, bullying in school. I give interesting ways out of that. Uh, I tell, and then, then you know how when you read ads and the ads talk you into buying things. Yes. And sometimes you regret it later. Well, I give an entire chapter. I love the name of it. It's called "Those Not Really Lying Bastards." I I do marketing copywriting. I know how to make you want something. I know how to. For, I tell you how they get you to buy it and they get you to buy it in ways that you might not suspect. And they have to do it without being hauled off to a court of law later. So they have to be very clever in their phrasings. And one of them is something like a cream that says helps uh, reduce the appearance of wrinkles. I'm going right. to ask which is you the, if, the appearance of, which is not the same thing as as actually reducing much. wrinkles. That's exactly. I, I will say also anything say about wrinkles. As a matter of fact, people. By the way, the did. the only product that has been clinically proven by dermatologists to actually not just reduce the appearance of wrinkles, but reduce wrinkles is tretinoin, otherwise known as Retin-A. Um, Retin-A is a brand name. Tretinoin is the oh, generic. Yes, and yes. it is prescription. That that has nothing to do with your book, but since we are on the subject of skin, mm -hmm. I will just to let everyone knowing, um, you know, there are certain products I use knowing that they don't actually make a real difference, but they create a temporary sort of halo effect that I can certainly live with when I'm going out. 
But if you are actually looking to improve your skin, tretinoin is is the only product. Again, otherwise known as Retin-A. Talk to your dermatologist. There are also places online where you can get an online prescription. And, you know, if if going to a dermatologist is not feasible or practical or, or just even convenient for you. Um, so yeah, check it out. But but so clear, I mean, this is a book. Obviously, that that has. I mean, it covers a lot of different aspects of life, and there, there's advice on everything from romance to business to to friendships to children to school to work, and and so it's it's sort of an, an omnibus kind of a thing. And where can people find this book? And I'm also going to ask you to spell your last name so that people, <laughs> uh, when they want when they go to look for it, um, are sure that they're getting the right one. But where can people find this book? It, the both of those answers go together. It is found only on Amazon.com. And you find it by in the search bar. You type in the word advice, but for peace sake, don't press enter. You'll get 85 million books. Type in advice and my name. And my first name is Teresa, spelled without the H. And Pesci is five letters. P-E-S-C-E. If you type in advice, Teresa Pesci, it goes directly to my page. And there's a sample chapter. So you can see there's uh, anyone who is living life will like this book. It goes, if you're trying to find your purpose in life, if uh, you're aging and it's worrying you, if you're going through grief, if you're dating, if you're about to pick up the phone to call your boyfriend to tell him that you're mad at him and you're calling to say you're not calling anymore. That's one of my favorite chapters, calling to say we're not calling anymore. Read that chapter and put (laughs) down the phone. Uh, there's everything. Well, in fairness, how is somebody supposed to know that you're not talking to them unless you tell them you're not talking to them? My (laughs) husband, my husband half the time would have no idea that he was getting the silent treatment unless I informed him that he was getting the silent treatment. So, you know, you are so funny. Oh my gosh. Well, Teresa, it has been a pleasure having you on the show today. Oh. Again, the the book is Advice by Teresa Pacheco. Please go and pick up a copy for yourselves. And Teresa, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. It's an honor, Gwen. Thank you so much. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. Don't forget to join me next week for another all-new episode. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up with a Cattail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline-loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, find out how to get your name and your cat's name included in my next book, or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts, head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me, and don't forget to hug your cat today.